So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I want to really go deep on the very touchy subject of money, mindset, and scarcity. It's definitely something that I encounter on a day-to-day basis when I'm talking to either clients or prospective clients. And I really believe our journey as an investor is to constantly be seeking those aspects of our thinking that prevent us from leveling up as an investor. One of the things that I say like a broken record is that the wealth that you have is a function of the thoughts that you cultivate and the actions that you take. But if I'm really honest, I would say that the first being your thoughts is actually even more important than the latter. The metaphor or where I've seen that play out in another sphere is around this idea of losing weight. There are a lot of people that advocate it's what you eat that matters way more than the exercise that you do. And the same is true of the thoughts that we cultivate as investors. The truth of the matter is there are a whole cohort of people out there. And I'm going to be the first to say that I definitely have suffered this in the past where as you grow wealthier, you just don't feel it. So the balance sheet is growing. There's maybe a little more money around, but you just don't feel wealthier. You feel like the risk of loss is maybe imminent. You feel guilty about spending money on yourself. And ultimately, what you're really scared of is that you'll never quite have enough. And the truth of the matter is, if you can really shift your thinking, then what's possible is that you get to recognize these blind spots that you have around scarcity and start to replace and reprogram that thinking. We can reclassify our relationship to loss because as investors, we understand that nothing's a sure thing and that loss is completely natural. And the way that we spend our money can be kind of translated to mean something else because ultimately, and this is the foundation cornerstone of all the work that I do, what I really want for everyone more than anything else is to have a really healthy relationship with money and pass that thing on to the people that we love so that they have every opportunity to succeed as humans and as investors. Now, there are so many fabulous stories out there that really illustrate this concept of scarcity mentality. But one of the best ones that I read about most recently was about the former General Electric CEO, Jack Welsh. Many years ago, he found himself in a situation where he was rushed to hospital and found later that he'd nearly died of a heart attack. After the event, which he survived, he was interviewed by a number of journalists who said, well, what did that incident mean to you? And, you know, what went through your mind? And he said that while he was being rushed to hospital, there was a recognition of this could be it. 
And the thought that he had was for all of the money, success and trimmings that went with his life, he just didn't spend enough. And the decision he made uh, for himself, which sort of seems arbitrary to us, is the decision to spend more on things that mattered. And in fact, one of his decisions was, I want to spend at least $100 on every bottle of wine that I drink from here on in. And the truth of the matter is that our relationship to money is really complicated. If we think about our attitudes to money, which predominantly form in childhood and then in our teenage years, we make money mean something. And you can grow up in a relatively affluent middle-class household and have a completely unhealthy relationship with money. And you can grow up in a really poor household and have a fabulous relationship to money. And part of it is around your desire to have a great relationship with money. And there is an element of human behavior that can really defy logic. It's really personal. It's really messy. It's really emotional. And we can often look at other people and how they relate to money. And it's bleedingly obvious where their blind spots are, but it's not obvious to them. And then they can look at us and see the same thing. So, a lot of attention in the wealth space goes to the science and mechanics of how to invest. There's not a whole lot of, I would say, high quality information on how to kind of really look for the blind spots in ourselves and continue to level up. And to be honest with you, where that comes from is a willingness to have difficult conversations with peers and other people, you know, in a community where people are really thinking in the same way to identify those vulnerabilities. So in Jack Welsh's story, what we see is that someone who was a Decker millionaire and possibly 100 million millionaire, his psychology went really, really deep. And what we need to remember is that how we spend money actually reveals a lot about, you know, what is it that we find super valuable in life? Like, what do we think matters? You know, who do we want to spend time with? Why do we choose certain careers and what kind of attention we want from other people? And in my own journey, I'll give you a really good example of this. Within my family, there's definitely been, and I, when I say family, I mean grandparents, great grandparents, greater family. There's definitely been an emphasis on getting out of poverty and, you know, doing that through education. And, you know, it's very common, particularly culturally in, in my community, for education to kind of be a reflection of status. And so, sometimes it's been necessary for some people to kind of show that status through ownership of specific kinds of cars or specific kinds of homes and so forth. And for some reason, very early on, that registered with me, but I decided very early on that that wasn't who I wanted to be. So, I could care less about, you know, wearing fancy clothes and driving fancy cars. What really mattered to me was experiences and having experiences which will create memories and feelings and growth that I'm not going to get through holding on to high value assets. And so, within my family, I think there's always been a little bit of a, you know, and I'm reflecting back to maybe even 10 years ago, why would Selena go on a holiday to wherever, Vietnam or Fiji, when she's still living in such a modest house? Or why wouldn't she spend her money over here? One of the things I, I learned early on is you've got to 
you know, drown out the voices of those that dissent your spending decisions and turn up the volume, you know, in terms of building a community or a network on people who kind of share your values and, and, you know, enjoy spending money in similar ways. So, if you recall, there are four pillars that I talk about a lot in my podcasts and it's what I advocate from a, even from an education point of view is there are four pillars or four things that we constantly need to be focused on to level up as an investor. And the first one is obviously stewardship, um, how you care for and look after money when it comes into your world. And that includes how you spend it. Investment effectiveness, how you choose to invest, um, what kinds of assets, what kinds of strategy, knowledge, which I will often carve up into wisdom, which is gleaned from maybe non-traditional sources, other investors, things that are not really mainstream. And then there's there's knowledge, which is you know education, uh, which may be things you actually go and learn. And then the final one is mindset. And these are all kind of in some ways interlocked with each other. They don't kind of work in isolation. But one of the things I found really effective is if you're just constantly looking at those four pillars and saying, well, where where is my weakness? Like where do I feel there's a lack of strength? Then you have no other way but to scale the wall as far as leveling up as a, an investor and as a human when it comes to relationship with money. And if I focus in specifically for this episode on the on the aspect around stewardship, there's two parts to it. So, people do focus heavily on the science around spending. So, how do I find a bargain? How do I make a budget? How do I do all those sorts of things? But there's an art to it as well. Um, and I use the word art loosely, but there's almost like a part of your spending habits that can't be quantified and that varies from person to person. And this really boils back down to, you know, the value system that you have. So, how people invest their money is not often obvious. So, you know, I have the luxury that people share their investing strategies and thinking with me on a day-to-day basis because they want to level up. They want to know how to be better investors. But what I would say is how they spend their money is actually quite visible to a lot of people. And I think it shows a lot about who you are and can provide you insights if you're seeking to, I guess, emulate a certain persona when it comes to relationship with money. So, I want to make this point and I know I'm sort of being a bit flowery here, but when you're looking for people that you want to admire, be really conscious of why. In the topic of wealth and money, it's really easy to hone in on someone as being, well, they're rich So, I admire them and I'm going to emulate them. But I I think if you can kind of pull that apart a little, you want to really identify what characteristics you admire about person specifically. So, I'll give you an example. You can find someone who's really wealthy, but really McScrooge, like really stingy, um, scarcity mentality. So, maybe your takeaway or the aspect of admiration relates to their, you know, their business acumen or the way that they've acquired investments or maybe some aspect of money management. But you certainly wouldn't take their whole character and persona in entirety and say, well, I want to be like them. Then there might be someone else who maybe isn't ultra wealthy, but just has this really zen and uh, healthy relationship with money. So, you know, you want to explore that side of things as well. I had a client that I worked with for a number of years who 
their scarcity mentality was really, really off-putting. They had um, multiple millions of dollars sitting in the bank doing very little and they had great difficulty executing on investment decisions. And when they did execute on investment decisions, often they were poor decisions. And there was this idea that they had in their head of what passive income they needed in order to feel safe. And there was a recognition that there was a lot of pain around money. There was a lot of frustration around money. And yet their outward appearance to the rest of the world was, I have a great relationship with money. I know a lot about money. And on many levels, there was a lot that you could admire about this guy's business acumen, his ability to articulate the science of making money. But when you pulled back the curtain, there was almost this toxic, cancerous aspect to his personality that was really causing you know, personal internal grief and a lot of challenges from a mental health perspective. Now, everyone is different. And the reason I share these stories with you is there are no black and white rules. Different aspects of market cycles can also affect the way that we feel about money. After COVID lockdowns, there were people out there spending money with full force, things like the secondhand car market, um, hobbies, all sorts of things that had previously we'd been starved of. Suddenly we felt an explosive need to go and spend money on those things. They often call that revenge spending. Um, And if you dig into these things, what I've often witnessed is that people who feel the need to outwardly display their wealth through their spending or the holidays they have or the the homes they have or the cars they drive often have some level of scarcity going on or they've come from a background where you know they feel that there's the need to show the world that they've made it now i'm certainly not saying that's you but the question that i'm asking you to consider is how does this idea of money and spending show up for you if you were someone looking from the outside in at your family situation, at your home situation? What do you think people would say about the way that you spend money and how much do you care about that? The reason I'm bringing this up as a topic is that I think scarcity and the scarcity money mindset is something that is a kind of a limiter for success for people. And that's not to say you won't be rich. It's not to say that you can't be financially independent. But if part of your journey is to have a fabulous relationship with money, then, you know, if there's any sand in your shoe, and I love that expression, if there is sand in your shoe, you can still walk, but at some point it's going to start to rub. At some point it's going to limit your performance And if we can start to tune into all those things that limit our performance, that is when we start to accelerate in terms of creating the wealth that we want. Anyway, guys, I I hope that's helpful. Please, as always, keep sending me emails with ideas for topics for this podcast. Can't wait to catch up with you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.